Major Lindsay and Africa presents Bouncing Back, conversations about resilience for lawyers. Welcome to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. This podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay and Africa, the global leader in legal search and consulting. I'm your host, Rebecca Glatzer. I'm a managing director in the associate practice group at Major Lindsay and Africa. In this podcast, I'll speak to successful professionals about the hiccups, bumps, bruises, and setbacks they've experienced in their careers and personal lives, and how they ultimately bounce back from those experiences to thrive. Today, my guest is Tanya Taylor. Tanya serves as Senior Vice President, General Counsel for Tepper Sports and Entertainment, owner of the Carolina Panthers, Charlotte FC, and Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. She oversees the corporate team while assuming responsibility for all company legal matters for the team, stadium, and corporate operations. Tanya most recently served as Executive Vice President, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary for Radisson Hotel Group Americas, where she led the corporate legal team and assumed responsibility for all company legal matters in the Americas, while also handling all secretarial matters for its board of directors. She's also held various legal roles in hospitality, including Vice President, Regional General Counsel, North America, at Millennium Hotels and Resorts, along with Vice President, Regional General Counsel, U.S., Latin America, and Caribbean at Wyndham Hotel Group. Outside of the hospitality industry, Tanya also served as General Counsel, Head of Legal and Business Affairs for a telecommunications and mobile startup, Yonder Media Mobile in New York City. Tanya is also very active in the community. While working in New York, she served on Empower Her, which is a program to make a difference in the lives of teens involved in the Apollo Theater Academy. Currently, Tanya serves as a member of the board of directors for the Children's Theater Company in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Additionally, she is a member of the fundraising committee for the City of Lakes chapter of Jack and Jill of America, maintains her membership in the Beta Alpha Omega chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and serves as the chair of the programming committee for the Black Alumni Summit for Georgetown University. Tanya, thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Well, in a recent conversation we had, you mentioned that in a prior role, you moved your family to Minnesota and have been in the role for nine months when you found out that your company was being sold. Um, What happened there? (laughs) Um, Panic, right? Uh, (laughs) So so everybody knows, like, I don't care how resilient you are, your first thing is panic. Uh, I think if you say otherwise, you're probably telling fibs. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you you know, uh, lots of planning and uh, working with a great team with a lot of great ideas about how we're going to turn the company around and we're really on a a growth trajectory uh, which is why I was brought into the role and so you've got all these plans in place it's your first you know um, coming through your first year and it looks like everything is you know smooth sailing and you finally got your feet under you Uh, I had never been corporate secretary before so that was a whole additional role to just being the 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 council um, and and handling the legal department Um, and then the call comes on a random Sunday afternoon and everything goes upside down. And so, uh, like I said, to be honest, it was the first thing of, from a personal perspective, I had just moved my daughter here as a sixth grader. She's making friends um, and I'm comfortable and getting to know people um, and kind of making my way into uh, the Minneapolis um, community. And now you hear that in the midst of all that, there's a possibility that all that changes. And you don't have an idea of time frame because uh, nobody can give you one. So is that is that six months? Is that a year? Is that, okay, maybe the deal dies? Um, so all these things are, are flowing through your head. Um, and then at the same time, you have to switch off because you really have to think about your role. So you have a duty. You can't. Um, you're under confidentiality provision, so you can't talk about it. Um, and so you're just digesting all of this solo. And I think if if I'm honest, that was the hardest part because there's no there's no venting, there's no what ifs, um, and there's no session where you can figure out you know um, what your options are. So the first reaction is some panic. 
Um, and then you start to wonder, um, and I would say, you know, worry about what that means for you. And then you move back into your professional role, which is, okay, I represent the the shareholders of this corporation. And so this is what they've decided to pursue. Um, if I, you know, looking at it objectively, it's a good move from a business perspective. I understood it. Um, they were getting a fantastic offer that who would not explore. Um, and it made sense from business operations for both the purchaser and the um, the seller. So um, you, you go into work mode and what does that mean? It was going to be Christmas and <laughs> that meant Christmas holiday was, was now going to go uh, bye-bye and uh, let's get to work. You roll up your sleeves and um, I, I came from a corporate M&A background, so I knew what that entailed and um, going to due diligence mode. And that was that. Um, that's really was like the the first um, set of reactions in the first 24, 72 hours um, of learning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. And I, I'm guessing you can't tell your daughter, like, I, I'm, it's great that you're making new friends, honey, but um, <laughs> we got to leave in three months or whore. And that was the thing, you know, like I couldn't, I didn't want to tell, I mean, technically, right. You know, people, the, even the NDA says you can share with your, you know, your spouse, your representative, your, your spouse, family members, that kind of thing on, on a need to know basis. Right. So, um, but but for me, it didn't make any sense to bring it up because I didn't have any answers. Right. right. So when, are we, how, when do we have to leave, mom? Where are we going? What do you, what's, yeah. 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 Every every answer would have been, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So now <laughs> you, you've you invited people to sit in your angst. <laughs> who, yeah. who wants that? Yeah. I, that yeah. That's not you a have to worry about their angst. In addition, yeah. you know, you'd be, you know, sort of uh, focused on her angst. Exactly. So it was it was much easier, even though, you know, it's not easy, but it was easier to hold that inside. So I actually I didn't tell her or my parents until um, because my my parents had lived with us in New Jersey before we moved out. So I didn't tell any any of them um, until we announced in June. So I I sat on that for seven months um, from a personal perspective because I didn't know anything. Right. Um. And so it was easier to, uh, I, I had some comfort because, you know, you end up in, you know, a severance and retention scenarios as executives. And um, and then as deals would have it, you know, they this one was sort of long and drawn out. So there was a period where we thought, well, maybe it doesn't happen. The parties don't necessarily have a meeting of the minds and they go their separate ways. And this was all for nothing. Um, so, so they really, it would have been better for me to just hold on to it and not say anything. Um, then you have the, as a leader of a department, you also with, you're holding all that for your team. So you can't, we only had a very limited, initially it was just the executive team. Then you you realize um, I couldn't do due diligence on my own. That's uh, for anybody who's done it, they recognize that's not, that's not possible. So I had to at least enlist the help of my, my uh, VP. And um, it was a, it was a plus minus for me. I was happy to have somebody who I could talk through, who I get assistance, pulling the information I needed to do for due diligence. But I felt awful that I had to, again, share the the, the, the worry. Uh, it was a awful time um, for that, for him personally. And I certainly didn't want to, to, to give the worry to him. Now he's thinking, what does he do with his family? And what does that mean for his next steps? And, you know, so it, we had somebody to commiserate with. That was nice. But if I had my druthers and I could have done it myself, I would have done it. And I wouldn't have burdened him with that either, to yeah. be honest. Just the, the too much work. Um, too much work. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't get it done because you're being in that scenario. You're doing two jobs. Yeah. Um, we yeah. we jokingly called it the metaverse, you know, uh, all us Mar Marvel fans, um, because you were sort of schizophrenic, you know, I mean, at half of your time during the day, you were talking to people about strap plans and budgets and hiring and all the things that you're doing to execute on our growth plan, launching brands. And then you would go from that meeting to the next meeting where you're talking to people, you know, eventually with the executive team. Okay, so what can we not do? What should we not do? Um, because we know this is a possibility that we're under sale in a couple of months. So every day is like a split personality. Um, and the same thing with your teams. You're talking to them about projects and goals and all types of things when you know on the inside, 
um, there's a distinct possibility this could uh, go a different direction. And then, like I said, it was a long drawn out process. And so all of a sudden, three, four months later, we're thinking maybe this doesn't happen after all. And now I have to re, I have to get myself in gear and make sure that the things I sort of slow rolled, I put back into the forefront because otherwise my year is a bust <laughs> because I've been slow rolling things that I didn't think I should do. But now if this deal doesn't happen and we're still on target for all the things that we were supposed to do for 2022, I have to get in gear and move faster. So it was a constant stop, start, push, pull, um, and just trying to do your best, you know, exercise best judgment on when you should put things into high gear or when you should kind of put them on ice. Right. And I, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of imagining then hearing you talk through this, like the days probably got longer and longer. <laughs> um, I'm imagining just, you know, given everything that you had to do, um, you know, how did you sort of attend to your daughter's needs and your own personal health, mental health needs? Did you? Like, what did that look like um, during the seven-month period, you know, sort of chaos? Well, that was the hardest thing because I still had to find times to turn off. Um, And I'm a single mom, right? So, we're here. It's it's me, her, and the and the golden doodle, right? So the two two of my girls, as I say, her <laughs> needed attention and the internal stress. Um, you've got to find a way to put that somewhere. So I'm a compartmentalizer. Uh, I can't say that I suggest it for people because eventually all the things you push in the back of your head kind of come to the forefront. They don't stay there forever. So you can probably only do those things for a little while and then you have to process. Um, but for your time, you know, people always say try to be present. Um, it was finding the time with her. And then maybe, you know, when she's done and going to sleep, now it's 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And, you know, you're back to whatever the, you know, purchase agreement review that you haven't done or right. other right. things that have been because your your days were taken with meetings as if everything is going smoothly and we're still doing business. So interesting dynamic. I, I probably would say um, like I always do, it's never work-life balance. That's not a thing. It's a, it's a, at some point, something takes a backseat or I say is something takes an L and it just can't always be you. So yeah. some things rotate, right? And so there are times where I might've wanted, you know, more time to exercise and that didn't happen. Um, I tried to get more sleep. I'm still trying to get back to like seven hours that they say you need. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, but I had to make some adjustments because otherwise I felt horrible physically. And so um, I tried to make, even if it was only 20 minutes, um, time to clear my head. So easier, I will say, if you can swing it with things in your home. So when you're, you know, you, you find the time, it's an odd hour. If I had to reschedule all those things going to a gym, it probably would have never happened. But with the treadmill and the bike downstairs, um, and at that point, really just the treadmill, the the bike, that was my my savior or walking the dog, um, you know, fresh air, uh, time with her and try to make that happen, you know, lunchtime or something where it was a regular occurrence where I got my own space. Um, yes. And that was that was the best thing. But there were times that slipped, you know, so where I thought I would get to a certain point um, and and, you know, be in my my healthy goal weight. By by summer that didn't happen. Um, yeah, it just that didn't happen. And um, I would have would have been happier if it had. But it you know it is what it is. Um, and so um, I was able to finally get back to once we announced the deal in June. That's when I could kind of like it was public and and not that there wasn't work left to do, but um, but I could kind of get back to myself. So there was a good four or five months where. Um, you know, Tanya's perfect daily routine had to get in the truck. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's such a, you said something that I think is in certain ways so elementary and and basic and at the same time so profound because I think as lawyers, um, especially women lawyers, uh, parent lawyers, um, you know, any any professional who's in a busy schedule and is trying to manage 300 things, whether that's parents or kids or whatever. You know, this idea of work-life balance, I think, is a little bit of a farce. I think it's, you know, there are things, I, this is how I feel personally, you know, there are times where things are good and you have control over your schedule and you can have a decent work-life balance. And then when you're doing something like 
um, trying, trying to keep a company running and also close a huge deal and also be a parent. And, you know, we'll get to it. I'm, I'm imagining trying to figure out what your next goal is going to be at some point. Um, that's probably swirling in, in the back of your mind, probably to put it on the shelf. You know, it's, it's hard to balance all of these things. And I think, I think your point about sometimes certain things come to the forefront and other things have to get pushed to the back. And, you know, if, if that's, you know, going to the gym for an hour and a half regularly, it's going to have to go to the, on the back burner for, you know, five, six months. Um, and I was interested to know if you have any other thoughts on that for, for, um, you know, the listening audience, especially junior attorneys who are trying to figure out how to make it all work, especially if they're really young children, you know, um, which a lot of my candidates do, they have, you know, babies or three-year-olds um, and their spouse is also a working um, person, a working professional. Um, any other thoughts or, or advice you would give to folks who are trying to figure out how to make it all work? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is to give, you know, yourself some grace and, um, in its other ways, kind of look at the realities, right? You know, so there's there's still only 24 hours in everybody's day. <laughs> Nobody gets any more. Um, you can't figure out how to make do do more in the same amount of time. So certain things you have to cut. So it, it's it's like a um, you know priority list, right? So where and, and that can shift. It's it's not like a it's not static, you know. So uh, it shifts daily and sometimes within the day something shifts and you know it could be a sick child well you just got to look at what can i not what do i not have to do today like what what can somebody else sometimes it's delegating right if you're in a certain position um and that might be delegating within your you know your your family life you know um whether your spouse and that person needs to take a shift here because they're traveling um and or you need to to pick up some of the slack in a different time frame, um, it might be within your department. Um, sometimes with even colleagues, you know, when we were doing the transaction, um, you got to figure out what's the best way of doing it. It might work for other people to send, um, you know, uh, separate responses or comments on documents, but it might work best for you from a time management perspective. Can we just sit down for an hour and a half? And we all do this together because me doing it with like each of you separately, I don't, there's no time for that. <laughs> I can't process it that way. Exactly. That's, right. that's too many times. That's five out, you know, five times, five hours to gone doing the exact same thing over and over again. Let's just all sit down and knock it out. Um, so sometimes your usual way of doing things has to shift. So you've got to be more flexible because that's how life's coming at you. Um, it's funny, as you get ready to do things, I always say, you know, the, the universe presents things when they're needed. I had, I'm in the chief uh, women's group and um, our, my core group met on Tuesday and our um, our lead had made a statement with something to the effect of like the strongest, the strongest trees bend, they don't break. Um, and so that to me, I heard the resiliency is in the the flexibility and that by definition, the flexibility means it's not what your normal standards are. So you've got to be able to accept what I my usual routines aren't it. Some people might, my friend, she loves to cook. That's not a me thing, but she, that's how, you know, she's a passion. That, that's her her free time where she's probably thinking and just uh, relaxing. Um, but maybe in a course of two months when you're going through a deal, you doing that, you know, a, a master chef, you know, menu every Friday night, you might not get there. It might be a couple of months of HelloFresh or um, what you can get out from Home Depot. I mean, Home Depot. Oh, my gosh. Um, from Whole Foods. Um, you can right. see I just bought a house. So Home Depot's on my head. Amen. Um, Amen. So but, you know, things you can get from Whole Foods. So it's prepared food. And that might not be your thing, your, your normal standard. But for right now, that's what it has to be. Exactly. <laughs> And giving yourself the grace. I mean, I think that that's, you know, I think women in particular, we're so hard on ourselves. Society is so hard on us. And like giving yourself the mental space to say like, oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, worry about my fighting weight in the summer or when this is over. Yep. Or I'm worried about cooking my family meals from scratch uh, later. Uh, right now we're going to do HelloFresh or some delivery. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, or I'm going to delegate this, you know, task to somebody else. I think, I think that's, 
that's great advice. So you are sitting on this for six, seven months, and I know that there was a little bit of a parachute here, but I'm also guessing that at some point you're like, great, what's my next role going to be? Because, <laughs> you know, um, I assume at some point there was a decision made, you know, that someone else would be the GC or, the, or you know, there would be a different way of going about it um, during the sale. And so when when did you allow yourself to start thinking about that piece of the puzzle? It was so funny because I had, uh, you know, when you're reading things or or things like that, uh, people talk about, you know, trying to make sure, you know, the general thing, it's easier to get a job when you have a job. Um, but for me, I had like two jobs and I could not even contemplate finding the, the next one in the midst of that drama. That would have been like a third job because when when you're in that kind of search that what it, that's what it is. I mean, whether you're reaching out to people on LinkedIn, researching companies, talking to recruiters, getting your stuff together, it's a full, it's another job. So I, I could not add that in. And I knew that. So I had the luxury, I will say, of having um, a, a, a landing spot because we had the severance and things. So I, I knew I had room to breathe and I had a bit of runway that most people don't always get. So I will admit that that is, um, is a luxury that I had. Um, but what I did promise myself was that I knew certain things took time. Um, getting, making sure your resume was updated. Um, I had, I'd been working with uh, the Women's Corporate Director Group, the Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis chapter, and we were getting a board bio done. So there was a, a number of hours already spent on getting documents ready, and I pushed to make sure those were done. And that's all I knew I could do. I said, so you're just going to make sure your paperwork's ready. Right. So if, if, by chance you stumble on something, um, you don't have to then spend time when you probably will not, you know, you'd be close to closing or something and you'll never have the time. So get that ready and then check that box and then you'll be somewhat prepared, but anything else you have to wait. So I I waited until, um, I guess, June when we announced. Um, We kind of knew as soon as December when we started talking about the deal, we were getting acquired by a public company. This was not, you know, another um, uh, private investor or some kind of conglomerate where they would let us sort of function the way we'd been functioning. This was a competitive organization. They they already had all of our, our positions filled. So yeah. nobody was going anywhere. Um, so unless they structured it differently where, you know, we'd be some freestanding group, um, we kind of generally assumed we would all go. Um, so, uh, once it, it was kind of determined that it was, a the scenario that the, the new company was going to institute would necessarily work for where my career was at the time. I just bet on myself and, um, said, we'll finish things out and, and I'll find the next move. Uh, and then I figured I'd start talking to people in the summer, which is, which is what I did. Um, knowing I wanted to still be general counsel, um, which, by the way, I'll put a pin in that, but I'll finish my sentence. Knowing I wanted to still be general counsel, uh, I knew it would take time. And so I started in the summer, and that's really when it really kicked in. Um, the reason I say put a pin in it is because what I will tell people is you have to actually look at where you sit. So I was general counsel of a smaller privately held company, but we required by a larger publicly held company. So I didn't have any um uh notions that a large public company you know those kind of general counsel positions are few and far between and so the idea if i had been a deputy general counsel or something like that of those types of companies would have been totally fine so i i wasn't only looking at a a general counsel position um it depended on the company and the size and the industry yeah and i think that's a great point especially for um i mean it's it's a great point for anyone but it's a great point for junior folks who are maybe at the council level and have started to get a whiff of this and to understand like it matters what industry you're you're in and it matters the size of the company and it matters whether it's public or private and it matters what your role is um these are important considerations to think about you know when you're getting your first in-house role and you're making that jump from law firm to in-house i think sometimes <laughs> i hear this a lot if i had a dollar for every associate who came to me and said they wanted to go in-house i could like retire yesterday um, oh yeah you know, it's a common thing, but oftentimes they don't understand what goes into it and they don't understand what companies are looking for. And of course, getting that very first in-house role helps a lot. It's an eye-opening experience for a lot of people in terms of understanding 
what the needs and wants of the C-suite are and what the needs and wants of a GC are. Um, and that's a little bit different than what an associate wants for their life or what they envision in-house life to be. Um, oh, and so yeah. It's a key takeaway in that, like, you know, if you're at an auto company, um, it's likely that your next job will be at an auto company um, just simply because your skill set and your industry knowledge are applicable um, in contrast to switching from, a, you know, an automobile manufacturer to something in the software space. You know, it depends on what you're doing. And I don't want to you know, paint with too broad of a brush, but essentially these are things you need to be thinking about from a very early stage if you're going to make that jump. So it pops up again. You've been in house a bunch of times, but primarily in the hospitality industry, I'm interested to know how you made this jump from a slightly different, in my mind, a different type of role, a different type of industry. Um, you know, sports is not necessarily hospitality, but I imagine there's some transferable skills. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you found your current role, what that looked like, how long it took? And then, you know, it, it, to me, from an outsider looking in, they're like, wait, what, what, what are the applicable skills and how did you switch from hospitality to arguably, you know, sports? Um, or are those kind of the same thing? It's funny. Um, so I will go back just a little far, far back <laughs> to the beginning. So I was um, in law school, summer associate, and uh, um, a wonderful uh, female partner on Wall Street at one of the big firms. Um, she said, she asked me, we were going somewhere after some event after uh, the workday. And she asked me particularly what I wanted to do. I said, sports and entertainment law. And she said, you know, she it's kind of just exactly how she said it. You guys always come out, so many of you, and want to do sports and entertainment law. She said, you know, that's not a thing, right? <laughs> said, hmm? right. Uh, right. What do you mean? And she's like, well, it's not really a thing. She goes, I mean, in a way it is. Like, it, it's developed over time because uh, there's a number of issues and decisions and things that have developed around sports and or entertainment. But really the crux of what that is, is, is based in all the basics. It's going to be about labor and employment. It's going to be about uh, IP. It's going to be litigation. It's going to be corporate. So you need to figure out and uh, whatever your area is that you're of interest, acquire some skills, get some experience, and then at the same time, get to know people in those industries where you can go apply it and the kind of the paths will meet. Um, and so I don't even know if I really understood what she was saying at the time, but if I if I look back, uh, I took her advice and I did it. Um, I decided I liked corporate. I knew I never wanted to be a litigator, um, and and that was my chosen path. So I did corporate M and A. That was kind of my thing, um, corporate tax even, um, and I figured that would be my route. And um, I had a little tangential experience with with sports. I worked for Metro Media Company, which is my second in-house role, and we all were assigned various. It was a holding company, so we were assigned various um, uh, companies that the owners were invested in to provide services. And I did everything from neurological monitoring and consumer um, products, nut snacks, <laughs> to <laughs> the Metro Stars, which was the precursor for the Red Bull today, oh, um, and okay. radio. Uh, at four different stations around the country. So I got some sports entertainment then, and then hospitality called. Um, and I thought at the time, I had worked for a privately held company for a number of years, I think seven at the time. Um, and so, but would I get stuck as a, you know, one of those jack of all trades, master of none things, because I had done so many different industries. I didn't have a niche. I didn't, I did everything. I did corporate. I did M&A, we sold off the team, we sold off some divisions of the nut snacks, um, but I didn't have a particular interest or industry specific focus. So when Wyndham called, the recruiter for Wyndham called, I thought, well, I could go from a publicly, from a privately held small company to a publicly traded big company, and I'll finally get an industry where I have experience and, and, a, and a place kind of to call home. Um, so that was why I made the jump. Um, Loved my boss at the time, and and I enjoyed my time at Metro Media. Um, but that was the impetus for the switch. Um, and then I fell in love with hospitality and and spent years there. Um, what I would say is, after a while, uh, I saw I'd seen the franchise side, the brand side, I'd seen the owner side, an operator, um, 
And then uh, I, I went back and did a stint away from hospitality uh, for a couple of years with my first and one of my first in-house bosses and um, totally different media, telecom, um, realized that wasn't necessarily the most interesting for me. The media part was interesting, the telecom, not so much. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but working with, you know, I, I jumped at the opportunity to work with an old boss and he was starting something new and creating th- something from scratch, which I always liked doing. Um, and um, when uh, my old internal client from Wyndham called, that's how I ended up um, at Radisson, I went back to hospitality. Um, how I ended up at Tepper um, really is the thing that people always say, you get in this, a skill set. You get to know people and you network. And I wish I could tell people because I know people are always going to hear like, oh, it's who you know, not what you know. Um, but your 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 network of uh, friends, family, contacts um, from college on is a lot of how things happen, whether it's support, guidance, or, hey, I happen to have heard that the Charlotte Panthers are finally going to go back and hire a new GC. That's how I, how it happened. Um, alumni uh, summit for uh, Georgetown and my dear friend um, had been uh, general counsel for the Hornets and had lived in Charlotte for years and and recently moved to Atlanta. When he heard about it, he said, "Hey, listen, I'm you know I'm, I don't live in Charlotte anymore, so I'm going to suggest some people uh, would like to suggest you. Are you interested?" For me, it was like full circle. So, of course, I was interested. Yeah. Um, why not? Um, I'm a huge football fan. Um, my first sports thing had been soccer with the Metro Stars. Um, so uh, I had some experience there. And um, it was a it was an of course. I didn't have to think twice. Um, and and the interest was there. I, I will be honest. I was I was not putting all my eggs in that basket, not because I didn't have confidence in myself, but because those positions are really competitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I knew that from the start. Um, whoever else that my friend might have suggested, there were probably tenfold of people that were going to reach out to try to, to, to get this position. So it was a hope um, and I was excited. Um, and then, you know, quietly in my, as I went to sleep at night, I, I, I thought to myself, maybe it would finally happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so it did. Where I, where I think the skills translate is because, again, it goes back to what my, my dear mentor back when I was in law school said, um, the work is the work, the industry is different. Yeah. So if I'm doing franchise agreements or hotel management agreements for Wyndham or Millennium or Radisson, you're still doing a contract and you're doing contracts at Tepper, um, whether it's sponsorship or advertising um, or travel services um, or coaches contract. The contract is the contract. If you have employment matters, um, we have employment matters just with 400 and some odd staff, just like if you had a thousand people. Um, so the work is the work. So you have to love whatever that is, which is exactly why she had said, you've got to get experience in something that you are interested in and passionate about. And then you bring that to whatever the industry is. Of course, yes. in this, this with two, when we're two different leagues now, you've got league rules that oversee, you know, overlay what we do. So you have to get comfortable with that. So I'm still gaining, you know, uh, uh, knowledge with that and trying to find time to digest all the things that I need to, to understand, you know, the territory I'm working in now, but it was no different than when I joined Radisson. I didn't have a clue about franchise law. I didn't have a clue about the hotel space and man- hotel management. Um, I knew contracts though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, and so, so it took me a good, you know, all the terminology, the first couple of months when I started at Wyndham, every meeting, I felt like I was, you know, in another country. I had no idea what anybody was talking about. Um, all the, the the acronyms and and things that now are second nature for me. Um, it took a good four months where then everything clicked and was like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, and so you do that enough times. I think that's where the skill set transferred. I was having even coming from there from Metro Media, every day was different. You know, we work for a beef processing company. Um, when they call you and say, we have a product recall for E. coli, uh, I've never... <laughs> I'd never done that before. I didn't know anything about product recalls, 
no more than anybody who sees it on the news um, uh, as a consumer. Um, same thing with labeling. Um, so it, to me, it's like another start over where I have to learn the 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 jargon. I have to learn the the regulations that I'm working under, right? So um, these are NFL or MLS regulations as opposed to FTC and and you know state um, franchise laws. Um, I'm just starting in a new area. So when I interviewed, it was you know really our needs are a lot of contracts we have to get out, servicing our our commercial department, our advertising and sponsorship. You know we've got content coming out. Um, and really all the things were the same that I had done. They're slightly different and the contracts, you know, a different contract. But once you've been doing it for a while, um, it's it, they're similar skill set. And like you alluded to, uh, one thing I noted in my interviews was I look at this as very similar to hospitality. In hospitality, you sell an experience day in and day out, people staying at your hotels. And so it, and it starts from their first touch point to the time they check out and you're worried about their experience so that they return um, and they come back to your hotels and you build loyalty. In the sports world, they are doing the same or at the stadium when we have concerts. From the moment they buy their ticket, whatever they their touch points with us is how they evaluate the team, the, the company, the stadium experience, and you're building loyalty with your fans. Um, and that's the crux of our our business. And so I still see it as selling experience, albeit a very different one. Um, but the consumer focus, hospitality focus on um, and loving our fans and being fan focused um, is akin to us being concerned about how our our guests stay every night at a hotel. Yeah, that's I I, I think that's a great analogy and I, I didn't think about it that way but you're totally completely right which cl clearly sold you know they were sold on this yeah that's why I say I said well it must have worked because I'm there yeah, <laughs> yeah well absolutely and I just think there's so many key takeaways that you gave our listening audience in that I mean one is get ready be ready stay ready so you don't have to get ready kind of thing you know yeah. get your material you know I, I talk to people all the time well I haven't done a resume since OCI I'm like no every time you accomplish something in your job it needs to go in the resume you know once a month update that thing so it stays it stays ready as advice that I give um, you know folks that are that are in the marketplace or looking for other opportunities and I think now that's great I will tell you I I had never thought of that and it is hard I hope people take that advice from you because when you haven't done you know I had gaps I worked at Wyndham for for nine and a half years I hadn't done a resume. I mean, thank goodness, you know, <laughs> I had yeah. to kind of do it, but it was hard when people say like, you know, your big accomplishments and you're like, you've uh. forgotten more than you could. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. You've forgotten yes. more than you could possibly remember to put on it. Yeah. And then, you know, when you're in the interview, you remember this, you remember that it's not on the resume because you didn't bother to write anything down. You won't be able to put all of that, but you'll know the highlights. Right. And so yeah. Yeah, if you if you do that, um, I think that's great advice to give to people. Yeah, I wish no, I had done it. No, no, it's it's something because my memory is terrible. It's getting worse as I age. Uh, the human mind is fallible. You will not remember what you did. You will not remember your accomplishment. And I literally have a tickler in my calendar. It's the last day of the month. It says update resume. That's all it says. Wow. <laughs> and sometimes I delete it because there's nothing to say. Mm -hmm. And then other times I'm like, oh yeah, I spoke on this panel and I did this thing and I need to add it. And it literally becomes a much less arduous exercise because literally all you're doing is adding one bullet every six months or two months or yeah. whatever and then you're doing. Yeah. You could always tailor it and, you know, and, and, and make it tighter and more concise uh, yeah. whenever you need to, but at least okay. the information's there. Yeah. The meat is there and it becomes, it takes me five minutes to update my resume for a new opportunity or like I'm speaking on a panel and they want that. They want it for some reason or whatever, or the bio that, you know, mm -hmm. bio and I update them once a month. Um, and it becomes a much less painful exercise when and, someone wants that. And people are lucky that, you know, um, you, they don't have to do it often if you, if you stay someplace for a long period of time. But I know um, in this day and age, people tend to move more often than they used to. Yes. Um, and so you would need that to be to be ready. Um, and people do ask and you will come across people that will ask, oh, send me your resume or your bio. Um, and you don't want to have to have them wait, you know, a whole week, two weeks while you pull it together and get somebody to review it and then tail it. 
you know, now you've kind of lost the the momentum of whatever your connection yeah. was. So yeah. the get ready, you know, and, and stay ready is a yeah. is a good piece of advice. Yeah. And I think your other point, um, Tanya, which is like, at the end of the day, the lawyer's job is to be good at the thing, you know, the core skills, whether that's contract review, whether that's understanding a regulatory regime for a particular thing, whether it's being a good litigator and understanding, you know, what it is to, to, to you know, to, to prep for um, a piece of litigation and, and to, you know, think strategically about it. These are the core still skills that you need to get really, really good at. And that's what young lawyers should be focused on and everything else will come later. Um, and, I, and I think that's a really good point, too. And I think the other piece of it, and it's kind of like the resume review, the networking thing doesn't have to be arduous either. You know, it can simply be, you know, being hanging around lawyers in your in the nonprofit space, finding something that you're really passionate about. And there happen to be other lawyers on the board or staying involved with your alumni association or, you know, picking one or two things to just um, kind of throw yourself into is is a good thing to do on a regular basis and not to be practicing for 10 years and then pick your head up and go, oh, wait a minute, I want a new job. I need a new job. Where's this going to come from? Oh, yeah, that's the thing. So networking um, sounds awful if you're looking at it as transactional. It cannot be when you need something. It actually has to be like your regular kind of everyday thing because it becomes so much easier if if you've stayed in contact and you're reaching out and kind of expanding your circle periodically. And I know for the introverts, this probably sounds like, oh, you know, chalkboard. Um, But if you you find the spaces where you're most comfortable and you expand where where you can, um, a lot of times if you keep that relationship going, you don't even have to ask. When your need comes up, they know it. Or when you're not even thinking about it, they say, hey, I heard about something. You should do this. I think you'd be perfect for that. Yeah. It comes without you ever opening your mouth. If you yeah. wait until, hey, like you said, now I feel like I need a new job or the company's being sold. And now I'm going to reach out to the people I haven't spoken to in years or try to randomly find people on LinkedIn. It A, is going to seem awful and B, is probably not going to work. Right. <laughs> it's, it's It really isn't. It has to be something that is like kind of the regular fabric of, of what you do. Um, and like you said, find a thing that makes it comfortable for you, an organization you're already in. It could be your neighborhood thing, you know, if you because maybe you'll find out, you know, there's some things happening in your local community and they want you to serve on some, you know, a community board or or something. Um, it could be all kinds of things, but it can't be done only when you need to make a move because that's too much. Yeah, it will never work. Yeah, it will never work. And and people want to do things for, for people that they like. Um, and mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it can be as simple as simply posting your accomplishments on LinkedIn occasionally or things that you're involved in and that, you know, they, technology is wonderful. LinkedIn will let your world know what you're doing and then you will be top of mind when that thing comes up. But you, you can't just go into a hole and be by yourself. People won't think of you and you want them to be thinking of you and hopefully thinking of you in a positive way. Um, yes, exactly. I mean, I think that's just really key. And like I've, I've met, I have a posting up or had one, it's closed now, um, for associate counsel at, at the, at the Tepper. And um, there were a number of, um, when you talk about this in-house thing. So just as like a FYI for folks, unless it's changed, <laughs> my experience was that in-house was almost never right out of school. Unless it was a humongous corporation with a really big legal department, and there some of those do exist, where they're basically training you, um, that's not the norm for in-house. A lot of companies, it's a tiny group carrying a huge load, and they they use outside counsel where they they have to. So they don't have the ability to do a lot of training. That's a rare uh, scenario, and if you find it, you know you can take advantage of it. But they also look at it because if you come straight from law school and you come to me, besides the fact that you don't have any actual practical skills and experience, you're going to only bring to me what I teach you. Yes. And you're not going to bring to me, okay, well, I'm coming here from three different companies or at least one of them, and this is how they did it. And they might say, oh, hadn't thought about that. Maybe that's the best practice we can use. So it's an, it's an exchange. You're bringing something to the table. So from an in-house role, re- recent graduates or, you know, people, candidates to graduate in May, that's that's a tabula rasa, like I'm starting from scratch. <laughs> and 
And I, yeah. and I, and that's not going to actually help my department move. But what I did tell people who applied that were in that position was let's get to know each other. I'm happy to jump on a Zoom or the phone and we talk for half an hour. And, you know, if you've got something, you know, your next move, you want to talk through that a year from now or six months from now, let's talk it again. And that's how you approach the person. So then you never know what changes, right? Somebody on my team could leave a year and a half from now, two years. And now you've worked someplace else. We've talked every six months. I remember, you know what? Let me call so-and-so <laughs> because now is now's the time. That's how networking starts. Yeah, that's right. You got to put yourself out there. Um, I think that's wonderful advice and very kind of you to continue to stay in touch with these folks, given everything else you've got going on. So um, I love that. Uh, kudos to you for for doing that. Well, I want to take a little bit of left turn where, you know, for time purposes, you know, this podcast, as we previously discussed, is about resilience. And one of the things that strikes me as you've been sharing your path, uh, your career path, the personal path with our listeners and with me, is it takes a bit of resilience to like, you know, make these moves, to move across the country, which I've done before. And I don't recommend we were talking about that mm -hmm. earlier. It is tough on your personal life and your relationships and, you know, your kids and, and everybody else. Um, but you've done it a couple of times, um, you know, sometimes out of necessity, maybe. Um, and to me, you strike me as a very resilient person um, to be able to do that and to change industries and to do what you have accomplished, um, Tanya. And so I want to know where the strength or knowledge um, or help to be resilient and get through these, you know, sometimes challenging experiences. Where does that come from for you? It's funny. Somebody sent me this meme that said something about, I think it's for Women's Day, and it said behind every strong, oh, so something like if you ask every strong woman what 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 it was that made her that strong, it was the choice, the something like the reality that she didn't have a choice. So basically, you're you're forced with the facts, right? So you always get down to the facts. So like I said, initially the panic, right? That's the emotions, that's the feelings, that's the why me, that's the this is the pits. I can't believe it. I just got here, you know, <laughs> or I liked my job and now it's gone and I liked my team and they're going to be gone. So you have all the feelings. And I feel like you have to embrace all those feelings. Um, it, it's okay to have them all, the panic, the worry, the anger, the emotion, the sadness. Then at some point, you know, you move past all that. And even if you, you can deal with it on a different day, because it comes in waves, but you have to act in the actual fact pattern you're in. Okay. So now this is going to happen. I may not know when it's going to happen, um, but but how how can I best position myself for me, right? Because the other people that are that are orchestrating all this, they're not really thinking about you, <laughs> and they're not supposed to. This is not that's not their role. This is a you thing, and you have to figure out what's best for you. Um, so I think it comes from you pull the pieces together. It's probably much easier if you're single and and younger and and no family and no parents to take care of. Because then whatever happens and whatever you cho your choices you make only affect you. If you want to move to California or to Iowa or to somebody told me somebody else was in Alaska. I was like, oh, my God, I don't even understand anybody <laughs> taking a job in Alaska. But OK, yeah, I'm in yeah. Minnesota. So, you know, people yeah. probably say the same to me because I'm almost in Canada. Um, yeah. This Southern girl is like, why? Why? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, so so there's that. So I looked at it as, you know, like this will be my Midwest adventure. Does it mean that I have to stay there forever? No. Um, you know, will it be a pain if I want to leave? Oh yeah. I mean, you'll have to do that again, but, um, but it pushes you out of the comfort zone. So I think you just, um, you look at the facts eventually when you get past your emotion and you figure out what, what has to be done. Um, and you take those in steps, right? Cause you can't do all the things at once It's things that have to be focused on right now. Um, and then you figure out logistics later, cause those are always doable. They may not be optimal but they're doable. So no, I don't want to move from Minneapolis to Charlotte and pack up my stuff again, but thank goodness I had the foresight to keep a lot of those boxes. And, mm -hmm. and so they're in the garage and we get started. You learn, you know, people always like this minimalist part of life. You learn, you probably have too much stuff and you should stop uh, acquiring a number of things. It will make your life easier when you have to shift. Um, I think that's always it. It's, it's the emotion part you embrace then you deal with the facts and the to-do list that you have to do. Um, and then, you know, you kind of, that allows you to kind of push through and get the, all the boxes checked of the things you have to do. Um, 
And you figure out at some point, if you look in your past, there was always the thing that happened. And at that time you thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe how am I going to do this? Like if somebody didn't pass the bar the first time and they had to do it again. I'm sure when that happened, they were thinking this is the worst thing ever. Um, But now they're practicing and they got through it. So if you stop for a second and you really look through your life, you've probably gone through a lot of things you never thought you get at the time. You never thought you'd get past. You couldn't imagine how you're going to do it. But yet you're here. So if you take a breather, I think you can figure out that you're a lot stronger than you think you are. Um, And if not, there almost everybody has somebody. And if you don't go find somebody now where you can let all that out and they can give you the ideas. Cause sometimes you do run out of space and you can't figure out your way through the darkness. Um, but there's somebody out of your friend um, group or family group or your church group um, that can, that can ask a question that shows you that there's a simpler way of looking at that. Cause sometimes we just get all bogged down with all the details and it's easier for outside people to tell you, Hey, what about this? And you you find your way through. So I think people are stronger than you think you are. I think that was the point of that meme my, my friend sent me. Um, and and you uh, you realize by by necessity you you push through. Yeah. No. I and I think you know several of the things that you said are, are just kind of hit me in, in that um, you know I'm a little bit of a nerd and I read some stuff about uh, some academic journals about resilience before you know in anticipation of doing this podcast as a thing. And one of the points in, in some of the academic journals about resilience are about your network and having people to rely on. And it, you know, it sounds like you've done a wonderful job kind of creating a network, a professional network, a personal network. Um, and sometimes it's not just about, you know, relying on your network to find a job. Sometimes it's about venting. Sometimes it's about, um, I need to move across the country. Do you have a good venter for that? Do you have somebody who yeah. my stuff? Um, it's the logistics. Like sometimes you just need somebody like people. So that's the other thing. People have done this before. If it, it may be the first time for you, which is why you think it's awful, but it's happened to other people before, probably people, you know, and then you just ask. And then that's when they're like, oh yeah, skip that. You know, I have other, and everybody doesn't have the same advice. I have friends that have said, I sold all my stuff there and I refuse to move any of it back. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got that advice too. Yeah. Too much of a headache. And, yeah. you know, other people are like, no, no, I didn't do that. But, you know, you'll find what works for you, but you get different ideas. And so um, if that's why I said the emotions, you got to get out of it because and those they're healthy, they're natural, they're human. But once you get past the emotion, the fact base is people move all the time. <laughs> people lose yeah. jobs all the time. And yeah. so what do they do? How do they fix it? And what comes next? Um, you know what helps you know what to ask for in your next role, you know, Um I kept my boxes because I didn't know maybe they wouldn't move me the next time around. And so I had the forethought to do some of that. But, um, yeah. at, you know, I think that's what it is. You just have to allow yourself like a breather and a moment to catch your breath. And it allows you a little bit of clarity to figure out, OK, how do I just navigate what I have to do today? Not tomorrow, next month, just today. Yeah. One day at a time. Amen. Well, I, this has been wonderful. I have learned so much from from hearing your story, Tanya. I have one final question for you, and it's you know for the the, the group, the listening uh, uh, audience members who are very junior attorneys. Um, you know, in addition to just upheaval in our industry, you know, uh, over the last few years due to COVID, um, many of them are also experiencing upheaval um, in their personal lives for the first time. You know, due to COVID. Um, you know the Black Lives Matter movement, the murder mm-hmm. of George Floyd, everything that's going on in our society now, and there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and for many of these folks, you know, this is the first time they've been, um, you know, in a full-time job. Um, you know, they've been, they were in school maybe, even alive during the, the great mm-hmm. recession, um, or they were babies. And so, you know, a, a lot of folks, I, I've been dealing with a lot of questions from my candidates, you know, about how to deal with, all of the things going on. Um, I'm curious for you, that's a, that's a, that's a big statement, um, but I'm curious for you if you have any advice for newly minted attorneys who are just trying to find their way. You know, maybe they don't like their practice area. Maybe they're not getting good mentorship. Maybe they're like, why did I go to law school <laughs> and having an existential crisis? Um, I'm just curious if, you know, if they're trying to find their way and they're trying to find their footing in our industry, what, um advice or key points would you have for them 
Uh, well, on that last part, you hit a hit a soft spot for me. Um, I probably spent the first few years of my um, junior legal career thinking, uh, did I do the right thing? <laughs> did I do the right thing? I don't like this. Um, I actually told um, a, a young family member, uh, and I reminded him, um, his nephew through marriage, and so I reminded him, I said, you know, your grandpa told me. I distinctly remember being in his kitchen saying as a young lawyer, I was like, oh, I don't like this. This is awful. And he listened to me vent for a while. Um, very incredibly successful man in um, business. And he said, you know, the problem is, um, he's like, you want, you, I think your vision of what your role was going to be is the thing that happened 10, 20 years from now. Like, cause that's probably the people you've met, but everybody pays dues. Everybody learns and, like at square one, even if you want to look at it as like paying dues is that maybe an older concept, but from square one, you have to learn like, you know, Jenga, like building blocks, right? For I don't care what industry you're in. So that part is rarely interesting. Like there's, because it's a lot of learning. It's a lot of skill acquired. You're at the bottom of the barrel, um, stuff rolls downhill. Yes, you're going to be the junior person that loses, you know, Memorial Day weekend because you're the person that's at the printer when that was a thing. They don't do that anymore now. Um, you're the person doing that. And so, of course, it's not going to seem like what you thought it was going to be because it's not there yet. Uh, so you have to you have to wait. Um, and in that time, it, there probably wasn't a week that went by that I was like, maybe I don't want to be a lawyer. Um, I went through a lot of that for a long time. Um, what I figured out was that I hadn't found the lane that was for me being a lawyer. I, yeah. And and that doesn't come right away. Right. I don't know if you're a doctor. Does that come right away either? Um, I actually went to Georgetown to be pre-med and then changed um, after my first year. So uh, would that have been that way? You know, four years of, of undergrad, then med school, then your, you know, internship, residency, all that kind of stuff. All of that is the build. I don't know you love any of that, right? Until you get to the thing, like you decide I wanted to be a pediatrician, you know, 10, 15 years later, you're working with kids every day. That's the great part. It's not the beginning part. <laughs> um and so I think you have to understand no matter what you're doing, there's a certain um, period where you're going to have to really be honing your skills and that's going to have some rough spots. That's not going to be easy. Um, you might, uh, to your benefit, figure out a lot of things you don't want to do. Um, the negative learning is not always um, something to 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 shun. I think some experiences teach you what you do not want to spend your rest of your life doing. And that's good uh, yeah. so that you know. Um, so COVID, I think what I think it helped, I don't care what industry you're in, is realize that life is short. Um, the days can be short or longer, depending on how you spend them. Um, and, uh, you've got to really figure out how you want to spend them, who you want to spend them around. Um, and, and so that you do things that matter, right? I think if you're watching all the upheaval, that our country's gone through, um, you would hope that you're leaving your mark in the world in a way that things matter. And sometimes what I realize also, that might not be your job every day. It could be all your activities outside of work because you might be very good at doing certain things that is your actual day-to-day -day job, but it allows you to do other things that bring you the sense of what people say, fulfillment or purpose. Um, I think I think that is a perfectly good way and acceptable way of looking at life now. I think a lot of the generational divide people have is, you know, they think the millennials don't, you know, appreciate things. They want everything right away. Sometimes I can understand that, but I think in other ways they expect more that that older generations didn't think they could ask for. They expect a job and a and a work environment that brings them joy. They want to like who they work for. They want to hope they work for a company that um that is doing good things and being a good corporate citizen um, and understand why they get up every day. I don't know that that's a bad thing to ask for. I don't I don't think people should ridicule them for wanting that. I think they need to understand that they still have a lot to learn first um, and they need to give it some time. Things don't happen. You know, you're you're you work for a year. Now you're promoted to VP. Um, but I think them asking for a lot of those things for their day-to-day -day lives is a good thing. I think it'll help um, all of us as uh, coworkers and as um, human beings um, to ask and look for more. So keep looking for 
um, something that brings you joy and passion and um, keep your eye on the prize, right? What I So what people, generations you would do is say, I'm just going to do this because this makes the most money and that's my job. And the fact that I don't love my job, that's okay because I'm going to provide yada, yada. Um, I don't think you have to do that. I think what you could say is I'm going to hone my skills in this craft, whatever it is, um, for a while, but I'm keeping focusing on um, maybe it's I want to get rid of these law school loans because I really want to do work that it does for the greater good. And no, I'm not going to get paid $250,000 a year for it. So as long as soon as I can get rid of these law school loans, I can go do the thing that makes me happy where I think I'm best suited. So that's a plan. That's a goal. And it's OK to have that goal um, and you execute on it. You just bide your time while it works for you and your plan. Just yeah. don't make it somebody else's plan. And I think that's okay. I think if COVID taught us all to do that, um, then I think that's one of the, the the few good things it left us with. Amen. No, I agree. Well, such wonderful advice, Tanya. Thank you for giving so much of your time and being so open and honest with me and today. I know they will get a lot out of this conversation. I got a lot out of this conversation and I sincerely appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I, I, I hope that um, anything I've said if, will help somebody else. And um, you know, I'm always uh, willing to share all the ups and downs, the pitfalls and all the learnings um, over this. Uh, can't believe it. It's my 30 year anniversary from Penn this spring. So happy <laughs> three decades. <laughs> yeah, happy anniversary. Three decades will teach you a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you for listening to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. Join us next time for another story about thriving after overcoming challenges. You can find Bouncing Back and other programming for lawyers on MLA's Legal Talk Network.